0: And perhaps you entered into this building or logged online, and this was just a week filled with distractions or chaos or disappointments, temptations, failures, mistakes, or perhaps this was a week filled with great joy and celebration and milestones reached. But we're just so glad you're here. My name is Jordan. I am our online pastor and one of our teaching pastors here at Crossbridge, and I have the privilege of continuing our series today. One of my favorite questions as of late, how's your soul How's your soul? And it's a question that requires uh, much more thought and depth than, how are you doing today? Because oftentimes that is just responding with a good, okay, doing well. But how's your soul causes pause and reflection and uh, honestly trips us up as we think about it. Um, and and causes us to kind of sit in whatever it is that we are navigating or that we are walking through to just take a breath and process. And so last week, Brad kicked off this series, How's Your Soul?, challenging us to rest and to sit at the feet of Jesus, navigating us through the story of Mary and Martha and as Jesus is teaching his disciples and and uh, just challenging us to... to uh, to uh, sit at Jesus' feet and just to listen and to learn and to accept and not necessarily even respond, but just to be there in the presence of Jesus and how that impacts our soul. And you may be sitting there uh, wondering, what does soul mean? It's honestly one of those things that we use all the time that we see Uh, wrapped up in scripture, I think Brad shared last week, I didn't fact check this, so take this for Brad's word, of over 700 times in different ways, but the Bible doesn't explicitly say this is your soul. Uh, so it was common language used in the ancient East and the the early church, and they, they just they they would put into practices different spiritual disciplines to improve the quality of their soul. But Brad shared last week. He said the soul is God-breathed inner self that lives for eternity. Which, what does that mean? <laughs> and, and it's honestly, uh, I think, okay to not necessarily have a soul-proof answer. (laughs) My small group just booed me up front. Um, But it's okay to not necessarily have the perfect answer for what the soul is. I would like to add to Brad's definition and just say that the soul is this mysterious um, situation where the spirit kind of collides with the physical and the mental and the emotional for eternity. And all of those areas in our life, if one area is lacking or unhealthy, if we are physically unhealthy, our soul is going to be physically unhealthy. And it's one of those things that you may just feel it, okay? If our emotional state is unhealthy, our soul is going to be struggling, and distracted and disrupted and unhealthy. If our mental state, and even if our time with God is disrupted or distracted or not present, then our soul is going to feel disrupted and distracted and struggling and unhealthy. And so all of these different areas that the early church and the ancient East would put into practice were to improve kind of our awareness of the Holy Spirit, but also the health of just our entire being, And so there were practices such as prayer and they would, oh man, the early church would would pray in community and they would pray in silence and they would sit in the presence of God for hours and hours and then they would go and be the church and they would go and do and they would go and act. And not just with prayer, but um, and also in times of of, of uh, communion. And we took communion last week. And the early church would would regularly share meals and break bread and just reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus as a as a deeply spiritual act to impact their soul. They would they would go into spiritual practices of generosity and of of worship and of studying scripture and of doing life in community. And those are all. In incredible practices to impact our soul. And Brad challenged us with with this last question, kind of to wrap up his message last week. When was the last time that you sat at the feet of Jesus? When was the last time that you sat at the feet of Jesus? And for some of us, just simply sitting is difficult, Distractions are in every corner. Kids are in every corner. Media is in every corner. Technology is so accessible, and our brains can't fathom the idea of just simply sitting and being in the presence of Jesus. I want to turn. To Psalm chapter 62 today, and we're going to read the first eight verses. Psalm is uh, one of the largest books in the Old Testament and has the most chapters in the entire Bible. If you've ever asked the question, uh, I'd love to be able to study scripture, but I'm not sure where to start. I would strongly encourage going to Psalm 1 and just reading one psalm a day and then just reflecting over the words and praying over the words and asking God to speak to you. And you can do that twice a year. There's uh, over 135 chapters in Psalms. So so David wrote a lot of the Psalms, not all of them, but in Psalm chapter 62, he writes this really encouraging passage. And and a lot of the Psalms are, are poems or songs or even journal entries or deep thoughts or questions that David is kind of just crying out to God. And this is what David writes He says, truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence, surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, God is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times You people, pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. I'm going to read that actually one more time. We're going to start from the beginning, and I'm going to pause after each verse, and I just want you to reflect for a couple seconds on those words, and then we're going to spend some time in silence after I read the eight verses, and then I'll pray to transition us. But in that time of silence, and as we kind of slowly read these eight verses, I want you to think about one verse— or one phrase or one word that sticks out to you or resonates with you or challenges you from these eight verses for our time of silence then as we pray as a community in silence to then reflect on and think on and ask God to convict you or to open your eyes. And so slowly read this with me um, as we walk through it. Psalm 62, one. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies with their mouths. They bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. Join me in sitting in silence and just reflect on those verses for a few moments. Lord, we seek you, we pray with you, we invite you into this space through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Fill our hearts, fill our minds, fill our souls, God, with your presence. Eliminate distractions for these next few moments so that we may honor you with our time and our worship. In your name we pray, amen. Today we're going to be walking through a specific spiritual discipline that I believe has one of the greatest impacts on our soul's health. And it's going to be this concept of solitude, which is the early church's way of saying time alone with God. Time alone with God. We use that phrase all the time throughout our different series and our sermons, challenging our church, challenging ourselves to spend intentional time alone with God. And it's this phrase, solitude, that we see Jesus specifically time and time again uh, walk away from the distractions or excuse himself from the room or from the gatherings or from his disciples to go spend intimate time with the Father in prayer, in study, in pouring it out, seeking wisdom and grievances with the Heavenly Father. And for some of us, as we think of the phrase or the concept of solitude, Uh, we're introverted and we cheer. We're like, yes, the church is finally letting me be lonely and just by myself for a moment and it's permission because we talk about community all the time and we push our congregation to build relationships and to to spend time in community. And yes, for extroverts, this seems like hell and for introverts, this seems like heaven. Of spending time, you're giving me permission to excuse myself from the party Yay, God. (laughs) But it's not just about being by yourself and then throwing on Netflix. And also, solitude is this difficult concept because for those of us who are married, how do you explain to your spouse, like, hey, I just need some space? (laughs) Or if we have kids, then it just creates, and you're like, yeah, Jordan, I would love to spend time alone. When can I drop the kids off at your house? (laughs) And for those of us who are single, they're like Jordan. I spend so much time by myself already. Why would I want to be alone more? And it's again, it's not necessarily for some of us. It is about creating intentional space of solitude and uh, and, and loneliness. But then in that space, filling it with prayer and silence and study and scripture and worship and journaling and creating moments of experience in God's presence. And so uh, for a lot of us, solitude can be both intimidating and a celebration, but it's necessary all the same because it is what recharges us in our weariness. It is one of the many things that do, but it is something that for some people, it is just an absent practice. But it's a practice that comes directly from Jesus. As we see in Luke chapter five, this is what the gospel of Luke writes This is Jesus himself. Yet the news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I like to think that Jesus had 11 teenagers and one immature and spiritually convulsive young adult who shouldn't have been married but was married. (laughs) And he was constantly being bombarded with individuals coming from all over the world to be healed of their illnesses, of their anxieties. And he still, because of that, would excuse himself to lonely places and spent time in prayer. We also see later on in Luke, this is on the screen, but later on in Luke, Jesus actually spends an entire evening praying with God before he goes and calls his disciples. He goes up to a mountain and he spends an entire evening praying with God, God, show me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Who shall I call to be the 12 disciples? To do ministry with me, to do work with me. And Jesus was always exhausted. And so he would would excuse himself from from the needs of this world so that he would be able to recharge, refuel, listen, learn from God himself. And friends, uh, solitude really is just a spiritual discipline that I think we as a church in the 21st century have gotten away from. And again, for some of us, those excuses for why we've gotten away from them are valid. They're real excuses. It is difficult for us as individuals who have kids, have jobs, or perhaps are already always alone to think about Why would I want to be alone more? Or yes, I would love to be able to excuse myself, but how do I do it? And so I just wanted to just walk through kind of six basic ideas on solitude. These are some some things that I was thinking about and wrestling with, both to to emphasize the importance, but then also to give us some ideas of how we can process this concept of, of giving our soul some food, to recharge, to heal, to learn, to listen, to eliminate the distractions. Number one, solitude is not about being lonely. Solitude is not about being lonely. It is being intentional about creating space for us and God. Solitude is not about, okay, I guess I just have to turn down all of my community opportunities. or it's not about just simply staying in the living room and watching Netflix or engaging in video games or to do, uh, it is about being intentional about time alone with God. And when we flip that mindset from what solitude is and what solitude isn't, it can begin to open up some opportunities of what that may mean. It also gives us permission to make our times of loneliness intentional moments with God. And so if we are, have an extremely busy day, and we've dropped the kids off at school, or we're on our way to a 14 hour work day. And the car ride after we drop off the kids or on our way to work is the only time in our day that we are going to be alone. That is a prime time to carve out space between you and God. Sometimes that space comes in the shower. We are like, hey, spouse, can you take some time with the kids downstairs? I'm going to go shower. <laughs> it's about the opportunities that perhaps you already have in your loneliness and just saying, you know what, God, I'm inviting you into this space. Number two, solitude is often difficult for extroverts and a party for introverts, but necessary for all. I've already, listed, I've already shared that at the very beginning. Okay, we talk about community a lot, and we talk about time alone with God a lot. Extroverts need solitude as much as introverts need community and vice versa. Introverts have to stretch themselves to be in community. And extroverts, I'm calling you to stretch yourselves to be in solitude. It is difficult for us, but we need all of these things to be able to create a healthy soul. Number three, solitude may be intimidating because we live life without margin. Let's just be honest. This comes from Pastor Rich Velotis, a brilliant mind pastor and author and theologian, and he, he is so wise on solitude and spiritual disciplines, and it is so true. We live life without margin. So many of us fill every single moment in our calendar, and then we say, if we only had more hours in the day, if we only had more days in the week, if we didn't have to be around the kids 24-7, if we didn't have to work an eight to six or an eight to eight, 12-hour shifts, 14-hour shifts. And it's unfathomable for us to think about margin or creating space or even creating moments of time alone with God because we don't live with margin. We don't have that space. And so sometimes we, in order for us to be able to separate ourselves or excuse ourselves for 5, 10, 20 minutes, an hour, two hours at a time, to be able to spend time in solitude to pray and to read and to recharge and to listen to God, it first requires us to say no to obligations or priorities that we have in other areas to create more margin in our lives number four solitude doesn't seem possible for a lot of us because life is too busy the kids are too busy our job is too busy our brain is too busy even as we were sitting here sitting in silence perhaps 500 different distractions went off in your mind And I've heard a pastor say 500 distractions in our prayer time are 500 opportunities to just draw us back to God. And we often beat ourselves or we completely ignore solitude or ignore prayer or ignore time in scripture because ah, we're just too distracted. Our brains are too busy. Our schedules are too loaded. Our kids are too chaotic. Rather than using those moments as opportunities to return back to God, Number five, solitude needs to be accompanied by silence and prayer. Silence and prayer. A lot of times when we think about time alone, God, we open up our Bible or the verse of the day on the YouVersion Bible app, and it's great to fill that time with scripture, but allow then the scripture to feed your prayer time and to feed your silence. Why is silence important in our prayer time? Because that's when God can speak to us. A lot of us, this is just revolutionary for our prayers. We pray first and foremost about things that benefit us. And then if we remember, we pray for other people. But rarely do we just sit in silence and try to eliminate the distractions and allow God to speak. Why this is so important to do after scripture is because then the scripture reading, if you read Psalm 1, then you can spend your time in silence reflecting on Psalm 1 and saying, God, speak to me from this verse. God, speak to me from this verse. And then, number six, and this is probably, if you only hear one thing from this entire message, this is arguably the most important part of the entire message the theme, the heart, the heartbeat. It's this Solitude is a place of great wrestling, resting, and receiving. Great wrestling, resting, and receiving. And I tried so desperately to think of a third R word at the very beginning but the second letter is the best that I could do. (laughs) And we're going to walk through just one passage from each of these three categories as we just wrap up our time today, just to give you examples of people in Scripture who wrestled with God in solitude, who rested with God in solitude, and who received from God in solitude. The first one comes, again, from Jesus himself. Mark chapter 1, turn with me. It's the, the first gospel that was written It's the second gospel in the New Testament. The gospels are the testimonial accounts of Jesus. And so Mark is writing in Mark chapter one, and he just kind of dives right into Jesus's public ministry. And these are four verses that, that are so important for us to think about. This is what Mark writes. He says this in verses nine through 13. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And then he jumps immediately into a time of solitude and wrestling. Verse 12, at once, the Holy Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Sometimes, uh, and why it's so important for us to spend time in solitude is because that is when we allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to convict us about the sins in our life or about the decisions we need to make or about the opportunities we need to pursue or about the things that we need to do differently. And it is a time of wrestling. And that's where the distractions sometimes come in where perhaps we're thinking about the busyness of our schedule and our brain is going crazy and, and our anxiety is filling up and our stress of, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do this. And that is even perhaps you just wrestling with your calendar or wrestling with something that God is trying to convict you of to just say, you know what, but you're slowing down so that you don't make those things an idol. Solitude is a deep time of wrestling. And Jesus was wrestling with Satan. And Satan was trying to disrupt him and distract him and distort the truth. And he was quoting scripture at Jesus in different tempting ways to try to cause Jesus to blaspheme God, to sin against God, and to surrender before he continued his ministry. And so it's important for us to spend time in solitude so that we can wrestle with the things that Satan is trying to tempt us with and distort and distract and disrupt in our lives. And sometimes God will expose our greatest sins, our greatest idols, our greatest failures, our greatest mishaps. And that's when prayer is so necessary for for, uh, just uh, seeking forgiveness, and surrendering those distractions and disruptions to God. Second piece, solitude is an opportunity for rest. This is our theme verse of the year. Matthew 11, chapter 28 through 30 also comes from Jesus. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle And humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. There's two passages in the Old Testament that are so important for us to understand about rest, uh, especially within in our soul rest. And these aren't going to be on the screen. One comes from Psalm 46:10. Be still and know that I am God. Okay, as you rest in God's presence, God calls us to be still to silence the distraction. And what does that lead to? Knowing who God is, knowing what God does, knowing where God happens to be. Oh, friends, we were in the car right on the way this morning, and we were listening to Uriah's new favorite worship song. It's called In the Room by Maverick City. Just released this last week, and Uriah, he's been asking for it. He's like, in the room, in the room, in the room. Okay? And this time this morning, he asks Marissa, and he says, God, Marissa, where is God? The song says he's in the room. Where's God? And so it was a great opportunity for us to quote the Romans 1 passage that says, evidence of God is all around us. The trees, the stars, the skies, us. We are evidence of God's presence and the Holy Spirit dwells among us. Be still and know that I'm God. That's how you know is when you are still and you can f- and then you are able to to wrestle with God and rest in God's presence because God is present. The other passage comes from Exodus. I think it's exodus 14 14. And it's right as the Egyptians are pursuing the Israelites after Pharaoh had allowed Moses to bring the Israelites out of slavery. And then Pharaoh changes and hardens his heart and chases after them with chariots to bring them back into slavery. And then Moses is standing there with millions of Israelites as the chariot armies and horses are coming to slaughter them and to bring them back into slavery. And Moses cries out to God and what does God say? He says the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. He doesn't say bring out your pitchforks like Shrek. <laughs> he says the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. It is so contrary to our concept of resting, resting and our our concept of fighting. And then the last one, receiving. Again, from Jesus. Mark chapter 14, if you'll turn with me uh, to the very end of Mark's gospel, um, one of the shortest gospels that we have, but this is when Jesus is in the garden. He knows that his time is coming before he is about to uh, be arrested by his own people, and then put on trial to be crucified for our sins. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. The, the, the name Gethsemane translates in English to olive press, oil press, to crush. And so this is also a time of wrestling. Jesus is, is being crushed and he is wrestling, but he is receiving something very valuable from God. This is what it says in verse 32. The disciples and Jesus went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. And then hear from Jesus, verse 34, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said, then, said to them, stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, I, I don't want to rush over that. That's the Jesus is the only one who refers to God as his father, which is so cool because the Pharisees, this was so revolutionary and radical because they were they, they looked at God as this respectable being. And Jesus creates this intimacy. It says, Abba, which means Father. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And then this is where he receives, yet not my will, but what you will. Not my will, but you will one of the most bold and dangerous prayers that we can pray to God because often what we receive in those moments in solitude and prayer aren't enjoyable or aren't our first option. Not what I will, but what you will. Receiving, wrestling, resting, and receiving. Friends, this is why solitude and time alone with God and time in prayer and time in silence are so important because they recharge. They... they uh, uh, they refuel our souls. And so here's the question that perhaps you, you may be asking So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you? Whether you're a teenager, whether you're retired, whether you're living in chaos as a parent with two kids, one kid, six kids, 20 kids, <laughs> or perhaps you are barren and childless and grieving losses or struggling with loneliness and the concept of this. Um, what does this mean for us? It means that our souls desperately need solitude to recharge in our weariness. And it's one of those things where it's like, when you are weary, this seems like the most unattractive thing for us to naturally do. Oftentimes when we are weary and exhausted, we scroll, we distract, We try to do things that kind of avoid the wrestling, avoid the resting, and avoid the receiving. But here's the reality, friends. A lack of time alone with God creates disruption, distraction, and distorts the truth that we see in Scripture and leads to temptation. When your soul is weary, you are that much more accessible for temptation and sin. I've heard it said one of the greatest things the enemy does to us is distracts us. Because a distracted soul is a sinful soul. It's so easy for us to fall into temptation when we are distracted and disrupted, which is why Jesus prayed and excused himself into lonely spaces and rested with God and wrestled with God. Burnout and weary souls are real. And solitude helps. So here is the next step. And this is something, as a pastor, I am trying to finish the year doing. It's a simple, it's called 10-1-1 model. And you can adjust this to your own model. But every day I'm trying to implement 10 minutes of solitude a day, one hour a week, and one day a month. That's my model. For you, it might be a 2-1-1, two minutes a day, One hour a week, one hour a month, one day a year. Adjusted to your schedule. Because again, the idea then is to increase that time. Some of you may only have a car ride right now where you are alone with God. And that's all you're able to do in this season. That is a great place to start. I would then challenge the next step of saying, you know what? Now I'm going to not just do my car ride, but I'm going to spend five minutes when I get home before I put on the college football game. I'm going to just force myself to open up the Psalms, read one Psalm, spend time journaling my thoughts on that Psalm, and then praying over it and listening. 10-1-1, 10 minutes a day, one hour a week, one day a month. That's my goal for the rest of the year. I didn't do it this week. Did it two weeks ago? And this last week, I was able to do 10 minutes a day. I didn't knock out one hour like I wanted to. It was a busy week. And yeah, I bring that excuse to God, and God's like, okay, reset. New morning, new mercies. Try again this week. And so it is so important for us. So take that, apply it, remodel it, and see what God does. Will you pray with me? Hey, God, thank you for this space. Thank you for solitude as a spiritual discipline for us to be able to recharge, refuel, and refocus our mindset on you. We pray, God, that you would minimize the distractions, but if the distractions are trying to tell us something, God, I pray that they would convict us in ways through our wrestling, resting, and receiving. In your name we pray, God. Amen.